This is a time for our speaker to share their experience, strength, and hope for approximately 30 minutes. And I'd like to introduce to everyone Corey. Corey, got it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pass around some pictures. I, they, they, uh, hi, my name's Corey. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Corey. Great, grateful member of this program. Um, I, I wasn't a heavy kid, but there's some kid pictures. There's kind of an arc. You'll see it. There's an arc with my weight. There's an arc where um, you can kind of tell when program happened to me, and you just see that I became alive. So um, there's my pictures. Uh, let's see. I came into... Um, Al-Anon in 1988, and then about nine months later, I got into OA, and I think my first spiritual experience was mentioning to someone in Al-Anon that I was struggling with my food, which I never, I never did before. I, I was of the mindset um, that if, if I could look perfect enough to you, that eventually that would translate to my being perfect, and that doesn't work. Uh, you all probably know that because I'm sure I'm not the only one that did that, but um, I really just wanted, I wanted to be enough. I wanted to be perfect. I, I just thought I needed to clean up my food a little bit. I didn't understand this whole disease concept, um, nor could I. I was in my early 20s, and um, I was, um, <clears throat> as a really little kid, I was not obsessed with food. I wasn't, like some people say, they were born compulsive overeaters. I, I was not born a compulsive overeater. Food was really unimportant to me. Um, at the age of nine, I was diagnosed as a type 1 diabetic. So if you notice me looking at my watch, it's just because I'm checking blood sugar because um, I'm all wired, um, which is amazing these days. But um, I was um, sick, very, very, very sick. My parents kind of missed it, and I almost died. And um, I was diagnosed as a type 1 diabetic, and, and treatments back then were kind of primitive. And so I had to eat this super rigid food plan. And everyone was watching my food. And everyone was saying things like, should you be eating that? And I, um, <clears throat> it occurred to me as, and that's when the switch got flipped for me. There was, I was, you know, I was not obsessed. I didn't care about dessert. I didn't, there were, you know, I just didn't, I wasn't a big eater. I was a scrawny little kid. And the switch got flipped and all I thought about was food. And um, the year after, the, so I was diagnosed in August of 1975. Um, and I, uh, I was nine, if you want to do the math. <laughs> I'm also 53 um, and a half, um, almost a half. Um, I, um, that first year, I was sent back to school. My mom would make me my little lunch, and I would eat anything that I could. And there was a donut on the playground one day when I was walking to the bathroom during class, and I ate the donut off the playground. And, and there's not many communities where I would mention that. But you guys, you may not have done that exact thing, but you've done something that probably you weren't planning on ever telling anybody. Um, and that's, you know, that's it, it. It's pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. But I didn't know that then. I had so much shame. But I have to tell you, for the two seconds that that donut lasted, I felt better. Mm -hmm. The problem is the donut was over, and then... And as long as I wasn't filling my face with food, I was obsessed with food. So, and, and you all also probably know that dynamic. Um, I, uh, as I became a teenager, because I was eating so much and my blood sugars were so incredibly high, my doctor would just keep on increasing the amount of insulin that I was on. When I became a teenager, I started restricting, but I was on all this insulin, so I started passing out. And I was hospitalized a, a few times in the emergency room. Um, because I would pass out from, 
you know, just, we all have our own version. For me, diabetes and, and compulsive overeating were integrally involved with each other. Um, and again, I just thought I needed to clean up my food. I just thought if I lost weight, I would get everything that I wanted. I really thought it was about the weight. Um, <clears throat> so um, I got into Al-Anon. My, my sister, um, I won't talk a lot about that program, but my sister was going to a meeting. She was in a really difficult marriage, and it was recommended to her that she go to Al-Anon, and she asked me if I would come with her. And I think my higher power works in really amazing ways because I would not have gone to Al-Anon for myself. I didn't think I needed anybody. I didn't think I needed help. I didn't. Um, and I went with her, so I was listening to see if it was going to be a good thing for her, and I really related. And, um, and so I, uh, I was living in Humboldt County up in Northern California, and no, I'm not a pot smoker, even though that's the, <laughs> the, ca the state capital of a pot, I think. I've never smoked pot. Like, I'm, I'm a compulsive overeater. I don't, sometimes I spend a little bit too much money, but that's, I, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not, da, da. So, um, so I, it was the summer, I, I, it was August, I was just getting ready to go back to school. I went to this meeting with my sister. I went back to Humboldt County. I, um, the school year started, I was going to Al-Anon meetings. I felt like I was a part of a community. And yet my food was, I, I was still passing out here and there. I was, my food was awful. I was um, making myself sicker every single day. And, um, and so I mentioned, um, I mentioned to someone in Al-Anon, I don't even, I can't even imagine myself mentioning my food to someone. I don't even remember the conversation. All I know is she said to me, I go to Overeaters Anonymous. Do you want to come? And I said, no. No, 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 no. I don't need, no, no, no. See, here's my deal. I just need to eat better. I didn't realize that the problem was that there's this disease that sets up a craving. When I, and, and for me, the craving is, it, I, the, the craving gets set up when I eat too much, when I'm scared, when I'm anxious, when I'm whatever. I, there's some part of my brain, the disease part of my brain, that really thinks that food will make it better. I did a lot of research to know that it never worked, but I kept on thinking, today is going to be the day. Um, so I, so I, I, after a few times of mentioning, because there was something that had me, like I wanted it, but I almost couldn't uh, allow Overeaters Anonymous to be my thing. And so after a few times of talking with her, she finally said to me, you know, look, why don't you check out a meeting? If you don't like it, you don't have to come back. And, and that spoke to me. I thought, okay, I'm not going to be trapped. I can see if it works. I know Al-Anon works for me. I didn't, I, I didn't, I wasn't even working the steps yet in Al-Anon, um, but I knew that I liked the community. I knew that I related when people shared. Like that's what, that's how I worked the program in the beginning was just going to meetings, listening to all of you, listening to your experiences. And I started both in Al-Anon and also in OA, I started to, you guys would talk about feelings that you had and I started thinking, I feel that same way. That's what it's called. Like, oh, that's anxiety. I didn't know that was anxiety. And I, and I started to gain this language for my feelings. And, and that by itself, by the way, did not clean up my food. But um, when I got into OA, if it were, I wouldn't be here. But um, I would, uh, therapy would have done it for me, right, if that were enough. I, I'm of the variety that I needed a spiritual intervention. So... Um, I got into OA, and um, 
I was very, um, I want to say intimacy resistant. I didn't, I didn't want to let anyone know anything about me. I didn't want to share much. I, I decided um, that I, I wanted everyone in the room, and it was a small meeting. On a, on a big day, it was probably five or six people. I wanted everyone to notice that after six months, she never said a word. Now, I realized after six months that you weren't even thinking about me. You were all thinking about yourselves. Or maybe some people were, but, but it wasn't, I just thought that would, there was something, I don't know. I don't know what that was for me. But, um, but because I was so intimacy avoidant, I wanted something to do. So I asked someone to sponsor me, and, and I said, will you take me through the steps? She had been through the steps in AA. And I said, can you take me through the steps? And so, um, and, and I, this abstinence thing is totally elusive to me. I don't know what that is. She and I never talked about food, that first sponsor. Um, but because what I try and do is figure out what's the, um, what's the right way to do something, and then I'll do it without asking any questions. My therapist says, you don't, you, 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 you don't have interactive experiences. Like, you figure out the rules by yourself. But the problem is you wind up creating more rules than there really are. So I decided my food had to be perfect, and that was my first abstinence. Had to be perfect. There were very few things I could eat. I grew up with my mother on Weight Watchers, and, um, and, and, I, and, and I learned a lot from that, by the way, in terms of a food plan. Um, but, I, but I thought that, like, so I knew, I, I knew what a diet was, basically. I knew what a diet was. I had been put on food plans since I was nine, diagnosed as a diabetic. And um, so I came up with this perfect food plan. And, um, and then my sponsor and I started working the steps, and we went to the beach one day. She had a book. I don't remember what book it was. It wasn't the big book. It wasn't the 12 and 12. The OA literature wasn't out yet back in 1988 or, yeah, 88, 89. Um, and we started reading from this book. All I remember is that it was green, the book was green, and it talked in step one about helplessness versus powerlessness. Um, I don't even know if it was conference approved. I didn't even know that that was a thing back then because I was too new, but, and, and, and the concept, again, my higher power works in very mysterious ways. My higher power that I didn't even realize I had back then because I didn't, I didn't think I was going to need that part of the program, by the way. Because <laughs> um, I'm self-sufficient. I'm just going to figure out what i got to do, and I'm going to do it. And um, uh, where was I? So, um, oh, so helplessness. So my higher power working in mysterious ways. So helplessness versus powerlessness was exactly what I needed to hear. Because I thought, if I admit that I'm powerless, that is, that, that that's, I already knew that I wasn't, I was becoming aware that I wasn't able to stop on my own. I was becoming aware that, I mean, that's part of why I wanted to go to the meeting. And so um, the idea that I could be powerless without being helpless, without being stranded, without being, I don't know, I just thought that without meant weak, and it meant this, and it meant that. And I, I now no longer believe that helplessness, by the way, is, is weakness. But I, but I saw it that way, so that to see the delineation between helplessness and powerlessness was really important for me to, to begin to begin, you know. Um, so we went to the beach one day. We read steps one, two, and three. I was in college. I was a fairly decent student. student. I knew that, like, when you take, I don't know, psychology 101, you take it, the semester's over, the class is over. Mm -hmm. So I figured you work steps one, two, and three, you, you're finished, and you put those away. You never have to do them again. And um, I'm so grateful that wasn't my experience, but... I really, so we read about one, two, and three, and at the end of the 
third step, we went back to her apartment, and, um, and I said, she said, how do you feel? Now, I didn't have a clue how I felt. Um, but I said, uh, good, I'm good, I'm good, really good, 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 over here, good, there's nothing but goodness, you know, was kind of, I mean, um, and, and, and I said, how do you know when you're done? Because I'm used to, like, psychology 101, you know when you're done, right? And she said, well, do you feel, do you feel like you're powerless over food? Absolutely, I said to her, and I, and I didn't, I didn't understand, so I just, I just, I just didn't want her to throw me away. I really thought, if I don't do it her way, if I don't sound like I'm getting this really quickly, because that was my experience growing up. My, my father was very shaming. I had to know things before I ever had the opportunity to learn, which is why Al-Anon was a great place for me in the beginning. And, um, you know, I, I, and my mother was another story. I don't have time to get into her, and it, nor does it even matter anymore. But it was important that I do all that work all along and look at what, um, in my inventories, where, where I was still resentful, where I was hurt, where I had fears, where they came from, so I could look at how I continued to play those things out in six and seven. But to go back to that, so, so she said, um, and, and do you think you're, you know, and, and you're ready to admit that your life is unmanageable? And I said, absolutely. And, and I thought, my life is not unmanageable. I just need to figure out my food. Like, I just really thought it was about my food. And, and then she said, now this higher power thing, do you think you, you might, does, are you feeling that? Do you think that maybe that's, and I said, yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't know what that, I didn't even know what that was. I was raised um, kind of traditionally Jewish. I had a bat mitzvah. People gave me a lot of money. I stuck it in a CD and, you know, and let it grow. Like that was religion to me, right? I mean, I liked things about my religion of origin. Um, I found it much more enriching for me once I found a higher power here, by the way which is an interesting thing. I, um, I didn't believe in God. I didn't think I needed God. I, um, I felt like if I were enough, then, and if anyone else that believed in God were enough, they wouldn't need God. I really, the self-sufficiency was so deep for me. And the, you know, and I'm sure you picked it up, but I wasn't self-sufficient, but I've, but I felt like I needed to be, if I could just get self-sufficient. So anyway, so, um, and then she said, are you ready to turn your will and your life over to the care of God as you understand God, which I didn't. And I said, of course, because I didn't know. And she said, she said, okay, so we, she said, we're going to get down on our knees. And we held hands, which was so, I mean, I'm intimacy avoidant right back at that time. So I didn't know. So we're holding hands, looking at each other. And then we pulled out the, the um, AA 12 and 12 when we read the third step prayer. And... Um, I was so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But something happened for me that day. Um, anyway, so then, um, so I'm following this super rigid food plan. And I had, a after a Saturday morning meeting one day, um, we all went out to breakfast. And, and I was so worried about what I could order that no one else would think about, that's, oh my God, that's 15, okay. That where no one else would judge me and they would think that I was working OA good enough. Because I wanted to work it good enough so you didn't throw me away. And, and I don't even remember what I ordered, but it probably was the diet plate, something, egg whites, something. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's kind of how I eat these days, but not because I think I have to, just because it's what I enjoy. But, and, and they ordered things that I didn't think you should eat on a diet. I didn't, I didn't, and, and I, in a way there was some freedom to that, but I was watching everybody and I was like, well, they're, they're not caring what I think. 
And if they only knew how many judgments I had about what they're eating, they'd, they'd surely change. Um, so anyway, so, um, so the, the last thing I'll say about it, and then I'll talk, I'll, I'll get more current, um, is that, um, and Hall so Halloween came around, and um, I was at a Halloween dance uh, with my boyfriend at the time, um, which is long enough ago that I was still dating men. And, um, and, uh, and people were eating, there was this really skinny woman and she was eating candy bar after candy bar and I was so angry. <laughs> she gets to eat candy bar and I called my sponsor, I had such a spiritual awakening that day. And I, and I had a candy bar and I called my sponsor and I said, my abstinence is over, it's over. I've got, I'm starting over. I, this, there's a skinny woman here and she can eat candy bar after candy bar and, and I don't get to do that and I was so angry. And she said, well, first of all, you don't know what she does and what she gets to do and what she doesn't get to do. You don't know what her experience is. Maybe she does. Maybe this isn't her, maybe she goes home and gets drunk every night. You don't know. Um, but, um, and she said, and so, and, I, and she said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you two things. Number one, don't start your abstinence over without talking about it with me. And then she said, how did you used to eat before you started your abstinence? And I said, oh, if the bag was open, I finished it. Um, if the box was open, I finished it. If, um, if there were eight slices, I finished them all. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't have the capacity. She said, so you, you, you ate one piece and you picked up the phone and you called me um, because you wanted to stop. She said, I, I want to encourage you to work on your perfectionism and I wanna ask you not to start over. Now for some people that would have been a break for me that day, it was really important for me to understand that it's progress, not perfection. Um, so um, I, I, met, I met this guy that I was dating, that, at the, the, that I went to the dance with. Um, I thought that as a result of working the program for nine months, that um, now my life is good. I got a guy, I've got, you know, we're gonna be together forever. Um, my, my first love, well, my first reciprocal love, <laughs> lots of loves that were reciprocal. Um, uh, let's see. Um, so I was with him for like a year and a half, and then when that relationship ended, um, I really started struggling with food again. But I started struggling with food in a very restrictive way, and and I was on all this insulin still, right? So I, anyway, lots of hospitalizations. Um, when I graduated from college, I was planning on spending my life with him. So um, when he broke up with me and I was graduating from college and I didn't think I could ever be self-supporting, I was terrified. And I, um, I, didn't, I didn't, I learned about the word panic attack in a meeting. Someone said, I have panic attacks. And I thought, I think that's what I have. So um, I got some help and, uh, with a therapist and um, moved back to Los Angeles and jumped headfirst into program. I, um, that first year that I was back, I uh, did tech on the OA birthday party. Um, and I got to meet a million people, like so many. And I started to be able to go to any meeting in the Los Angeles area. I live in Culver City. Um, at that time I lived in, well, at that time I was living with my parents, I think still. But um, I, uh, I, there weren't many meetings that I could go to where I didn't know at least a handful of people. And that was really important for me. Because when I was doing tech on the birthday party, the, so the, if you've never been, the birthday party on Friday night, they always have this, this show. It's some sort of a play. And they take some, you know, I don't know, like Sound of Music, and then they, 
they change the words to the songs and they make it OA related and it's got some arc of a story and someone gets absent in and some newcomer winds up sponsoring and there's always this great story, right? And it's always OA-ified. Um, so I did tech so I had something to do. So my intimacy avoidance was less forefront and I just started meeting people and I started seeing the same people at rehearsal week after week. And I started realizing that you, because you, I wasn't great at making friends, I was a wallflower growing up, that you, you build community um, by asking people about them and sharing little tidbits about yourself. Like, I didn't know that stuff. My father didn't have many friends. My mother really doesn't have long-term relationships at all. So I didn't know how to do those things. And I, I started to build really long-term, strong relationships. And I still have relationships with some of those people that I met back then. Some people went out. Some people died. Some people whatever. Some people left and didn't have this issue anymore. Not my business. Um, <clears throat> and, and I've just, like the one thing that I've done perfectly over all these years is just keep on coming back. I've worked the steps through quite a few times at this point. I sponsored quite a few people at this point. I have someone that I've sponsored for like 16 or 17 years. Um, I got to <clears throat> learn about boundaries with somebody that I sponsored because um, I so I sponsored this person. We agreed. We had a call time once a week. She was going to leave me messages every day. We sort of figured this out together. But then I would see her at my normal Sunday morning meeting where I wanted to do fellowship afterwards. And she would always pull me aside and she would need me. And I got very resentful. And I started to be really angry with her. And what I learned was I can tell her I'm not available after meetings for sponsee time. That's my time for my fellows. But you and I have a call time. If you need an, a second call time in the week, we can see if we can arrange that. I started to realize that I had the right to, to have needs that were different than your needs, that I didn't have to put my needs aside just because you needed me in a different way. That was news to me. And it wasn't like if someone had said to me, are you allowed to have rights? I would go, of course I am. Um, but I started to learn what that meant, and it was really hard for me. That con I had to pray and reach out and make nine outreach calls before that conversation with her just to be able to say, you know what, you can't have me after the meeting on Sundays because I need me, and, and I need me so that I can be there for you. And, um, and, and I, learned, I learned so much by sponsoring. Anyway, so um, cut to, so my, my um, I don't think, so... That first abstinence, I didn't wind up staying abstinent. When I moved back to Los Angeles, I got abst I, I, yeah, I got abstinent again. Um, then I wound up moving in with a roommate uh, right before I was um, doing this OA birthday party play. I wound up moving in with a roommate who went to my Monday night meeting, my Monday night women's meeting, so you see where the arc shifts, um, who I had a crush on. I started having these feelings for this woman, who was very straight, by the way. If you happen to have feelings for women, don't go for the straight ones. It never works out well. That was my type, intimacy avoidant. Um, I moved in with her. She was, um, she was actively bulimic. And I really thought with the, I don't know, six months of abstinence that I had, that I could show her the way. I was going to be her roommate. I was going to be her girlfriend. I was going to get her abstinent. Um, she was going to think I was the bee's knees. And none of that happened. And so what happened was she went up meeting this guy. She got engaged. And I wanted so much to stay connected with her that I started eating with her. And that's not her fault. That's mine. And I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a vomiting bulimic. I, I did something called diabulimia, which just 
It's, that's sort of a medical term, but it means that I manipulated my insulin to try and manage my weight. Straight path to death, by the way. Thankfully, it wasn't my straight path to death, but very dangerous. But it's a thing. It's so much of a thing that they now have this term, diabulimia. Um, so that's kind of how I acted out in a bulimic way. But I wasn't a vomiting bulimic, but I was eating with her because every bite that she took and every bite that I took, we were talking about how we were binging and we felt awful about ourselves and I felt connected to her. And I learned that that's how I feel, that's how I felt, not anymore. That's how I felt connected to people was through my, um, you know, I don't know, meeting them at their level. The problem was I was, I was having friendships and crushes on people that were at a level that I didn't want to be at anymore. So I'd meet them at their level. And I was binging with her, and it was bad. And I, um, and then I realized I needed to get out of that roommate relationship. I needed to get abstinent again. Um, and, and I forgot that in the program, we, we don't get ourselves abstinent. We go to God. I, I once heard in a meeting, we don't get ourselves abstinence, abstinent. God does. We just have to find a way to keep it, right? So we keep on coming back to meeting after meeting. Um, so I thought every day I would wake up and I would go, today's going to be day one. And I would be so clear about that because I, I didn't want to be eating anymore. I, I felt so ashamed in meetings. I didn't think I should share about it because I thought I needed to be perfect before I would share about it, which I don't recommend. I think sharing about it was a lot of freedom for me. Um, and then, so I've got five? Okay, perfect. So um, it's perfect bringing it home story. Um, so I... Um, and I would say every day, and then I'd be eating by 10 o'clock because I forgot about God. I forgot about God and fellowship and meetings and sponsorship. And I wasn't sharing with anybody what I was doing. And I don't think I had a sponsor at that time. Um, I think I heard something in a meeting one day that led me to this epiphany. One day I woke up and I said, today's day one, tomorrow's day two, unless I leave program. I'm going to just make it that simple. And my food cleaned up because I admitted I was powerless, is really what happened. Um, so over the years, I've had times where I've been no sugar. I've had times where I've not been no sugar. These days, I'm not no sugar, just because I found it confusing when my blood sugar's crashing and I have glucose tablets, which are really gross, actually, but they don't trigger me, that, that I was like, well, the, these are sugar, and then what do I do? Then did I break my sugar abstinence? I find for me that sugar's not the particular trigger. For me, the biggest trigger is eating too much, um, eating things that, that I haven't planned to eat, um, uh, overeating in any way. So these days, I don't overeat. Um, when I eat something, I cover it with insulin, which is the diabulimia part of my abstinence. Um, I eat what I plan to eat. Um, and mostly, like I, I've, I've worked at my job for 28 and a half years, and, and people that I work with, would never know that I had food issues. And it's not that I don't eat with people. It's just that my food, it doesn't show up in my food anymore. It's not that I don't sometimes think, boy, it would be really great. We were in New York back in April, my wife and I, and, um, and there were a lot, oh, and by the way, I, I most of the time I'm gluten-free and I'm most of the way dairy-free. Every once in a while I have a little, but those things, I realize those things um, that I wake up feeling like I've been hit by a truck. And, and I don't, that used to be fun for me, apparently. It's not fun anymore. <laughs> so, um, so I don't, so I learned that I don't eat those things. Um, and I don't have, I, I don't have a medical allergy. I've been tested, but there's something with me in those substances. So I, I mostly avoid those. Um, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, 
So, and that works for me, you know. Um, I, I get to meetings every week. Um, there used to be a time when I was new back in Los Angeles, I was going to eight to 10 meetings a week. I was going to lunchtime meetings. I was going to nighttime meetings. Um, these days, I go to one to two meetings a week. It's not really enough, but I'm working far too much, which is another issue. But, um, but I get to meetings when I can. I have a regular meeting. I have a sponsor. I have sponsees. I'm on step seven again. Um, and those are the things that somebody said to me. You, if you know your home meeting, you know who your sponsor is, you know what step you're on, and you're sponsoring other people, chances are you're in recovery. And I found that to be true. Um, and, I, and I just have to say, I'm so grateful. Thank you, Andy, for asking me to come all the way to Ventura to speak in a meeting. I love speaking in meetings out of my area. I, I, other than Andy, I don't think I, I know any of you. I mean, I know you all, right? But I don't think I know any of you as in having met you before. But I'm just, I loved getting on the road this morning at 8 o'clock, knowing that I was going to come to a, a new OA meeting. Me and my water and my tunes, and I was good. So thank you. Thank you so much, Corey. Um, okay. Thank you for your pitch and for being of service. So it's now time for questions and answers uh, for the speaker. I'm Elena Compulsive. I'm wondering, because you can have sugar, and I, and I sponsor somebody who can have sugar also, so I understand that. For her, it was white flour, and she got up to 400 pounds. So I, I understand. And I can also understand uh, uh, that it might not be a particular food, but food behaviors, you know, so quantity or whatever. But I'm wondering, because you can have sugar, can you also have alcohol? So that's a great question. I actually, before I got abstinent, I was, um, the last time I got drunk was the first time I ever had sex. Random story. And I felt, <laughs> and I felt so uncomfortable that I never, ever have had another drink again. So I'm married to someone who's been sober almost as long as I've been abstinent, but I gave up alcohol on my own. Perhaps that switch would have flipped as well. But so I don't know, because I don't, I, I don't, I don't walk that tiger or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'm and I'm not like she. She was raised in Pacific Group of AA, so like if something is cooked in alcohol, even if it's all kicked off, she she won't eat it. Um, but I'm not like that. Like if something is in a white wine sauce, that you know whatever, if it's cooked off, I, I don't worry about that. I just don't have drinks. So I'm grateful to not have an answer for that question. Because <laughs> I see where that takes you. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. You mentioned Al-Anon, and I'm somebody who has been in the groups of over 12 different 12-step programs, but I currently work two and stay connected to a third one. Do you have a program mix, or because you said two meetings a week, so do I have a... A program mix. Or oh, program mix. Oh, great question. So I'm not getting to enough... I'm, actually, I'm not getting to many regular Al-Anon meetings these days. I catch them as I need them. And my two meetings are, are OA, for sure. Yeah. I actually find as I worked the steps in OA that a lot of what came up for me in, in 4, 6, and 7 um, were relational issues. Mm -hmm. And I have a sponsor who has Al-Anon. I've always had sponsors who miraculously have either Al-Anon issues or Al-Anon. So, um, yeah, I don't get to Al-Anon meetings. Yeah, yeah. Hi, my name's Katie. Hi, Katie. Hi, Katie. Hi. I was wondering, you mentioned it kind of quickly, if you could just repeat 
when you were in that relapse and you came out of it and you said, you simply said, I'm doing step one, step two, and the rest, I, I think I said, but talk a little bit about that. Sure. So I said, I said today's day one and tomorrow's day two unless I leave. And that first abstinence, on, that was December 5th of 1991, um, was all it was, was as long as I keep on coming back, I'm abstinent. And, and, and I know that that was the right thing because my food cleaned up that day. So that's, that's what, it was that, just that simple. And then it got, you know, I added things over the years. But that, that's what it was, yeah. yeah. And I also am on food plans from nutritionists. And, you know, I mean, I've definitely got guidance around my food. I'm just. Hi, thank you for your service for coming. Um, you mentioned, I think it was your first sponsor that you went through the 12 steps through the book of, the big book, right? Um, no, we did them through this. So I didn't work all 12 steps with that first sponsor, but we worked the first three steps and started the fourth step. And it was this other book. I don't know what book it was, oh, okay. but it wasn't the big book. I love the big book. I didn't love it back then, but no, it wasn't. Okay. You mentioned that you guys weren't discussing food, and I was just wondering how that was possibly being in the food and doing the steps. Um, well, so I was still thinking that I could be perfect then, and I was in the high of new being in program, and I didn't think I would ever struggle with food again. So my food was somewhat clean during that time. Um, and even that one candy bar that I had that day, um, I called her, and then I got right back on the train. Um, so I don't know that I was as much in the food those days. I think I was... Um, and it was good. I mean, all of, like, I, I didn't, this was all epiphanies for me, all this step stuff. I didn't, I hadn't been a spiritual person before, and, and, I, and I wasn't raised, um, I, I wasn't, like, there, there's, in the way that I was raised religiously, there wasn't, like, we didn't, we didn't follow anything other than this is a holiday where you eat, you know. <laughs> and this is one where you eat flat stuff versus you eat stuff that's been leavened. And, and this holiday we recline, you know. I mean, so I didn't. Um, so I, um, I, I have worked the steps well. I was in the food. Um, and I found that the steps got me out of the food. Um, so that was my experience. I, you know, I, I have heard people say, you need to get abstinent before you start working the steps. And I, and I respect that that's important for other people. For me, what I found was it was the steps that got me out of the food and, got, and lifted the cravings and, and gave me a relationship with my higher power. So that's how that was. Yeah. I just have one quick question. Hi, I'm Terry, compulsive overeater. I way overthink things, and I know that. And I've read about, in the little pamphlet, about abstinence, that it's the act of refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive uh, food behaviors. How would you define abstinence? Because I understand abstinence and a food plan are two separate things. And I keep wanting to go back to the food plan part. Mm. So. so what I've heard is abstinence is, um, f food plan is what I eat and abstinence is what I don't eat. As a simple term. Um, Can you say it again? Yeah. Say that again like you just said. She, someone didn't so, hear so, so my food plan is what I eat and abstinence is what I don't eat. Okay. That's yeah. Or, or, or what my, or, or the, the food behave the parameters around the food mm -hmm. behaviors. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, it's now time to close the meeting. Um, let's thank Corey again for being our speaker. Thank you. Thank you.